Let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. By your mercy and the Lord's blessing, let me take a few minutes and finish our study of adoption by quickly going over some points that could take a long time, but it is unnecessary. We have seen the first three phases. I speak of the five phases of salvation already, and I spoke to them to you in our announcements as I described the appreciation they meet with when they are found. It is a great blessing of God to us. They are best contained in a one-page summary in a landscape position of five columns explaining the five phases of our salvation. And there's a second chart that goes with that first one that shows how the components of salvation, whether they be sanctification or adoption or redemption, can be best understood that way as well. The Bible tells us to rightly divide the word of truth, and he's shown us how to divide it into five phases. And that chart should be burned and embedded in your mind with the verses of God's word rightly divided there. And if the Lord shows us where we need to move a verse from one column to another, we'll be happy to do it. We just want to make the Word of God as plain and as powerful as possible to grasp the full doctrine of salvation. Because we go between the ditches of extreme fatalism on one side and Arminianism on the other. We want the truth. We want the high road of truth. We have seen three phases so far today. And that is God's eternal phase of adoption when he planned to adopt and his eternal counsels and decrees, as John Kent wrote them to us on Wednesday evening that we sang, because that is where predestination finds its object in that we had our destiny as God's children chosen by God before the world began. The price had to be paid. We needed to be purchased from God's holy justice. We were sinners. We had to die. It didn't matter whether he adopted us or not. He couldn't adopt us because we were dead as far as God was concerned because his justice was going to demand our eternal torment for our sins. But Jesus Christ died for us by plan of adoption, and that was the price necessary. And Jesus was the lawyer that went to bat for you and put us at one again with Almighty God. Then, still had a problem. In the back seat of the limo, leaving leaving the orphanage of sinful rebels... We were fighting with one another, living in malice and envy, and were foolish. And God changed our natures, something that an earthly father cannot do when he adopts. God changed our natures to be partakers of the divine nature, so that we would be like him and love the things he loves and hate the things he hates. Praise God. That's being born again. And that happened sometime during your lifetime. God elected us. Christ justified us. The Holy Spirit regenerated us all so that we could be adopted. Because we need all three of those in place before we're adopted. Then there's a fourth phase called the practical phase. And that's where God sends the truth to tell us that He adopted us, how He did it, and what we can do to please Him as dear, beloved, faithful children. It's the moment of truth. Every adopted person, unless they're kept in dark their entire lives has a moment of truth when they're told about the parents that gave them up and about the fact that they are adopted. And so these parents that they've called mommy and daddy all along 
are thereby a choice of love and affection toward them. It's a moment of truth. And the moment of truth for us is when we hear the gospel and it tells us what we deserved, what the orphanage was like, where we were, where we were headed, that no one wanted us, including the God of heaven, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel comes and it tells us those things. And sometimes one of the best approaches we can have with people is to talk about adoption. I heard about that. Your conversation, Zach. It's such a glorious topic. And you can simply say, do children in an orphanage pick who their father is going to be? Or does a father come and pick who his child is going to be? And that's what the Lord did with us. But then the gospel comes and tells us about it. And it's the practical phase because it's the pleasure of adoption. It's the peace of adoption. It's the knowledge of adoption. These things that God has purposed from the beginning of the world and has held in His eternal counsel from eternity are familiar to Him, new to us. They're mysteries to us because we've never heard them before. But the gospel comes and proclaims them to us. God has adopted through the death of our older brother, Jesus Christ. And it tells us how we can live for Him. There are many things that could be said, but let me try to just very quickly summarize. This is the great event of conversion. You know, election is God's work. Justification is Christ's work. Regeneration is the Spirit's work. But conversion is God's blessing on preachers doing their work and us believing and obeying the gospel we hear. It's a wonderful event. It's conversion, and to the degree that it happens... It requires your effort and your diligence to make your calling and election sure, and it requires God's blessing upon those efforts. It's God's grace, and it's our effort together working about our conversion. You can squander the grace of God in this phase. You cannot squander it in the other phases, nor can you resist it. When we see irresistible grace, we know that it only applies to regeneration, not so much to conversion, because conversion can vary all over the map, from Abraham to Lot, they both end up in heaven. They're both converted very di- to very differing degrees because of their differing degrees of faithfulness. Samson's in heaven, but he didn't apply himself like he should have during his lifetime. David's in heaven. He applied himself better than Samson, but he still had problems. Joseph's in heaven. We don't read as much negative matter about Joseph, do we? They're all children of God, and some of them were converted more than others in that they were more faithful. Paul said he labored more abundantly than the rest of the apostles in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. God's ministers have the wonderful privilege of telling the Ethiopian eunuch or Cornelius that they're the adopted sons of the living God by gracious predestination that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. As we learn about our adoption, we grow in assurance, joy, hope, and confidence and fellowship in our salvation. First John chapter 1 tells us this. Verse 3, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. John was an eyewitness and a personal friend of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of life, described in verses 1 and 2. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. And so when you read the rest of First John, you can know what the intent is. For your joy to be full. 
for you to have fellowship with John, for you to have fellowship with those that John had fellowship with. And truly his fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You say, but Jesus is in heaven. Jesus is in you by his Spirit. He said, I will come and abide with you and forever. He's in you by his Spirit. You say, but what about those Johns already in heaven? What fellowship? Ye are come unto Mount Zion and to an innumerable company of angels and the spirits of just men made perfect. We are in a mystical, unseen, spiritual relationship with them. Listen, they think the same things we think. They worship the same way we worship. They're fully saved. We're fully saved. Except we're not. Our spirits aren't in heaven yet. They're not glorified yet. Neither are we. We are, we have a vital connection to them through this new man that is inside us. This new man is already fit and prepared for heaven. It will not change to spend an eternity in heaven. It will drop the body. They have dropped their body. But we are already in tight fellowship with them, brethren. They're up there saying, Lord, how long are you going to wait before you avenge us of our enemies? And the Lord says, well, we got to let your brethren have an opportunity to show how well they're going to serve me. And when a few of them have died a martyr's death or given their lives in service, then shall the end be. They're together. They're talking about us. We're talking about them. We both love the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been gathered together into one body in heaven and in earth. It's the body that the Lord Jesus Christ died for. I'm not talking about the local church. I am talking about the entire congregation that is assembled above whose names are written in heaven. Some alive and some dead. Some in heaven, some on earth. But Jesus Christ has gathered them all together into one. We hear about that and we rejoice in it. We hear the gospel. We believe it. The Holy Spirit bursts forth in our, li- in our lives calling, telling us to call upon God as Abba Father. The Holy Spirit enables us to know that we are the sons of God. He testifies to our spirit. Romans chapter 8. We've been over these verses. It's the internal signal. And it's the sign that we sang about in some of the songs that we sang today about adoption. God gives us that signal. It doesn't deceive. It should result in a changed life. And when you have a changed life, you can know it's by the power of the Spirit. And if it's by the power of the Spirit, you know you're a son of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... They are the sons of God. And we learn this, and we lay hold of this, and our assurance grows. We assure our hearts before Him because we love like we've never loved before. 1 John 3, 1 John 4. But do you love like you've never loved before? Do you know the difference between the selfish you and the giving you? Can everyone else look in the congregation and see how giving you are or how selfish you are? How humble you are or how proud you are. Do they see your father's, their father's likeness traced on your face as we sang in another song? This is the practical phase. We want to live like the sons of God. We want to talk like them, think like them and please our father in heaven. You know, the prodigal's father said, this my son was dead, but is alive was lost, but now he's found. Now the prodigal son never died, so why did the father say, this my son was dead? How much of a relationship did they have when he was off spending his father's hard work of 50 years with harlots and riotous living? How much fellowship did they have? None. So he said, this my son was dead to me, 
he was off in the world, loving the world and loving those harlots. Now he's repentant and he's coming home. He's so humble he wants to be a servant and not even a son. He's alive. That's our Father when we repent. That's how our Father thinks of us. We've repented. Now see, He took care of our election and predestination to sonship. He took care of the payment price. And He took care of giving us a new nature. But we can take care of right now, putting on the new man, putting off the old man, and being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can prove what is that that perfect and acceptable will of God our Father. And let's do that. This is what it's, this is what 1st John is all about. It tells us to love one another. Because, how does it say it? There's a three word expression in there. It starts with G. God is love. Let the socialists abuse that text. Let us humble ourselves before every ounce of its power. God is love. Therefore, everyone that loveth, is born of Him. How much do you love everyone else in this assembly? I love them all. Is that why you blow out the door and go home and feed yourself? Do you talk? Do you encourage them? Do you pray for them? Do you love to be with them? Do you ask about their well-being? Like Brianna did me today. Somebody's training that little girl. She's so classy. She's such a Christian girl. She came and asked me, How are you doing, Brother Crosby? What is your favorite verse? I said to her, I know what you're doing. And I know that Poppy's been up to something, and Mommy's been up to something, and Grammy's been up to something. But I said, my favorite verse is Psalm 37.4. She's loving me. And she's being taught how to do it. We all need to do it. God is love. So everyone that loveth is born of Him. And if you're born of Him, what does that mean? If you're born of some man, that means He's your Father. You're the children of God. And it says that over and over and over in 1 John, doesn't it? 1 John 3, 1 John 4, 1 John 5. And everyone that loveth, him that begat, loveth them also that are begotten of Him. If a man say, I love God, but hate his neighbor, he's a liar. The truth isn't in him. That isn't a son of God. Who defines love? Is it the pastor? No. The pastor helps you define love by telling you that there is a passage in Scripture and it's only one sentence long and that's all you have to do to everyone else in here. Do you know where it's found? New or Old Testament? What book? 1 Corinthians. What chapter? 13. What verses? 4 through 7. 15 phrases. One sentence. All you got to do toward every single other person in here. One another. Love one another. It shows that we're God's because we're loving like God does and we're loving those that He has put into the family with us and He loves it when we're loving one another. Do you know how much emphasis is in the New Testament about love? It's far greater and this practical phase of salvation is emphasized far more than the eternal phase of election and predestination because it's really where the rubber meets the road. It's where we prove our sonship to our Father, to one another, and where we build up the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We love each other. Oh, Lord, help us to love each other more. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This is the fourth phase 
of adoption. It's the fourth phase of salvation. It's the practical phase. It can be summarized as our conversion, which means that we change our way of living to look more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. It's the educational part of salvation where we are given more and more instruction as to what took place for us and what we should do. It's where we learn. It's where we change. It's where we repent. It's where we adopt a new way of living, a new way of thinking. It's where we get out of our comfort zone and we go do things for other people. We do the things that we don't want to do by nature because we have a new nature that we want to put on and put the old nature off. I just want to show you a few verses that tell us that there is this practical phase or part of adoption where you're not truly a child of God until you do something. Now, you are truly a child of God in God's purpose, in Christ's death, in the book of life, and by being regenerated. But you're not really acting like it yet. Let me just show you a few. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Why did your pastor get so emotional a few minutes ago describing a, a young man, a young convert, who is trying to help two older converts live at peace with each other. Why did I get so messed up? Because it's one of the greatest things you can ever be on earth. Because by nature, we all want to fight each other. We all want to protect our territory. We're all very parochial. We're all very selfish. And it's a good thing when we can teach each other to be at peace with one another and to make peace. Because our Father loves peace. He is the God of peace. And he expects peace in his assemblies, and he wants peace to rule in our hearts, as Brother Stephen exhorted you to a few minutes ago. Because this verse is why I got all worked up. One of the reasons. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. That is the evidence of a child of God. You go wherever you can, where you see a little bit of war and enmity, strife and trouble, make peace. Get the parties when they're in private and talk to them and make peace. It's exciting business. The Lord loves it. Matthew chapter 5. Love your enemies. Verse 45. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Now I thought that we became children of God by election and predestination. I thought we did by Jesus Christ being a mediator for us and going into the orphanage and paying the price and freeing us to be adopted by God Almighty. I thought we became the children of God by the Spirit regenerating us and giving us a new nature. Why does it say here that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven? Because you need to learn how to act like it. And how do you act like it in this passage? You do what He does. He sends His sunshine, that beautiful sun out there that we call the Son of Righteousness or a token of the Son of Righteousness. They are not thankful for it. But He sends it on them anyway. He sends rain that fattens fields and fattens them in turn. He fills their hearts with food and gladness, but they never praise Him for it. But that's what we're supposed to do. So it says in verse 44, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now those are things you would not ordinarily choose by nature. That's because you have a new nature, the divine nature, that is God's nature. Do you want to prove you're a child of God? Make peace. Do you have siblings at war with each other? Do you have siblings at war with your parents? Are your parents at war with each other? Oh Lord, forget, forbid that such a thing would exist. Make peace wherever you can. Is there, are there two young people in the church that are upset at each other? Is there anybody in the church upset at each other? Make peace. Do you have an enemy? Somebody that despises you, hates you, hurts you, 
offends you, irritates you, pray for them, love them, do good, bless them. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. He maketh his son to rise in the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? That's no evidence of being a son of God. Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And what is the measure of perfection in Matthew chapter 5, 43 to 48? Loving enemies. Loving enemies. Look forward to finding one. You have to look far. The Lord's, the Lord's going to arrange for you to have some. Brother, you're smiling at me, but I can think of a couple of years, and you know more than I do, but I know a couple. And it's hard. It's hard. But it's exciting because if it's, it makes us look like God. It makes us like God. It raises us to a level of perfection. What God calls perfection, the practical phase. I love the practical phase. Let me show you how much I love it. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Every one of you young couples in here that have waited for God to bring you a God-fearing, Christ-loving child of God to be your spouse, I commend you in the name of the Lord. Every single one of you. I'm looking at you. Thank you for waiting. Thank you for marrying in the Lord. I hope it's not disappointing you. I was looking at Mark, Esther. I, she knows I was looking at her. I commend you for waiting. Watch. Why don't we celebrate Christmas? Why don't we celebrate Easter? Why don't we celebrate Valentine's Day? Why don't we celebrate Halloween? Why don't we, why don't we, why don't we, why don't we get rid of Harry Potter and the, and the magic brew? Why do we want to get rid of horoscopes, Ouija boards and all the rest of that devil worshiping junk? Why do we think Haiti's nothing but an island of devil worshipers? that pretend to be Roman Catholics and the two religions go hand in hand? Why do we separate from them? Why wouldn't we support them? Why do we make a difference? Here's why. And it's part of our practical adoption. Our Father wants us to live a certain way. And when we go out and play with the kids in the neighborhood, He wants us to separate from them. Be ye not, I'm at verse 14 of Second Corinthians chapter 6. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. This is our Father talking to us. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ, my only begotten Son, with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, those of the kids in your neighborhood, and and I don't care how old you are, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We've been here before. These verses tell us, that there is another phase of adoption that we realize upon our obedience to separate ourselves from those things that irritate and offend our Father. So whenever we find reading the Bible to know how our Father thinks, whatever it says, 
We esteem all its precepts concerning all things to be right, and we hate every false way. So we won't be unequally yoked together. We marry in the Lord. We won't keep Rome's pagan holy days. We won't have the practices that they have. We separate ourselves. We get the steeple off our church so that we don't have a phallic symbol over the pulpit of God. It's available in Google. It's PH, not F. You, anyway, don't go look it up. Do whatever you want. Te- pro- prove your pastor. I will be their father. You shall be my sons and daughters. It's amazing. He predestinated us, and that's finished. Christ died for us and paid the price. He said, it is finished. I have a new spirit, but I can take that new spirit and I can join a harlot in bed, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I drag the mighty God, my Father, down into that bed with that harlot. And so God tells me, don't you know that you've been created, purchased, and possessed, and that your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost? Don't you do that. This is a father sitting us down in the library, showing us the 66 books of his little manual code of conduct of how he wants us to live to please him. And it should delight us. The things he asks us not to participate in are things that hurt him. They're sins against his nature. They're contrary to him. And this is one right here. This is why we separate. We don't separate because we like to be different. We separate because we want to be the children of God. And so when we find something in the Bible that he tells us to stay away from, we stay away from it. When it says every green tree in Deuteronomy chapter 12, and not to learn the ways of the heathen and how they worship their God that involve the movements of the solar bodies in Jeremiah chapter 10, we get rid of them. We marry in the Lord. Now there are seven beautiful promises there, and I've gone over them with you before. They're in verses 16, 17, and 18. And that's why I love the first verse of the next chapter so much, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved. Dearly beloved because Paul loved them. Dearly beloved because God loved them. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's wash and get rid of every single thing that is displeasing to God that is in our lives. That way he'll be our father and we'll be his children in a practical way. He will... He will love us and we will have fellowship with Him. It doesn't change our predestination, our justification, or our regeneration. It changes our practical sanctification. It changes our fellowship. It changes our confidence. It changes how much we please God. Then He shows Himself as our Father. If we'll do that, He will come down and bless us beyond what you can imagine. So many churches have so much of the world's religions in their church buildings and in their church practices, and in their church doctrines, God has withdrawn from them, showing them His blessing and favor, just like He did Israel when they would put high places up and plant groves and bring crap into the house of God. He would leave them. And He'll leave any church that does that. We want to be the children of our Father in Heaven, our young people. We do not like to be different. Would to God the whole city of Greenville was worshiping the same way. We do not consider ourselves special, except that God has chosen us, saved us, regenerated us, and told us He wants us to be separate. So we choose to be separate. I want to remind all of you that your spouse, 
if they're saved as a child of God, then you treat them accordingly. The Bible says about Paul describing Peter and Paul describing what he could do if he wanted to, he said, I could lead about a sister. Now that's incest. That's disgusting. Unless you understand it spiritually. You know what the relationship between a man and a woman paramount? The paramount relationship is not the marital relationship. It's the spiritual relationship you have in Christ. Lead about a sister. Doesn't it say in 1 Peter 3, 7 that your heirs together of the grace of life? Treat her like that. That's, that's all part of the practical phase. When you're bad in the practical phase and you're a child of God, what's God going to do to you? He's going to spank you. He's going to chasten you. He's going to scourge you. But He's going to do it for your profit. Earthly fathers do it for their pleasure, the Bible says. God does it for our profit. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11 are wonderful verses that describe not to despise the chastening of the Lord because it's proof that He loves us. Because if He doesn't chasten you, then what is that B word that you are? You're a bastard. You're a reprobate. God has not adopted you. You're going to stay in the orphanage, and the orphanage is going to be burned up with fervent heat and all the children in it because they're called the children of wrath. So be thankful when He chastens you. And He is magnificent. He can find things out about you, and He can bring things to bear in your life that shows He knows you better than you know you. Those of you that are parents... You know that He can get to you through your children faster than He can get to you through you. Haven't I learned that lesson recently? I don't know if I've learned it yet or not, but I'm learning it. Because I keep getting that. He is faithful. Do you know what this practical phase includes? It includes that if we being evil fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall our Father which is in heaven give good gifts to them that ask Him? That's part of it too. See, we don't, pray, we don't pray to be predestinated. We don't pray to be justified at the cross. We don't pray to be regenerated because if we're praying any such prayer, we're already regenerated. But we do pray for our Father to take care of us and He knows our needs before we ask. Is that a good Father? You know, everybody says, well, I love this person because they understand me. I've heard that so many It's just, It's just the sickest, sappiest thing I have ever heard. I love them because they understand me. No, they don't. They just want something out of you, so they act like it, you idiot. That's lust. You want somebody that understands you? Then fall on your knees and bless the Most High God. Right. He understands you. He, has, he knows every need you have before you even ask. What's the final phase that's coming? It's the manifestation of the sons of God and the adoption of our bodies. Jesus Christ is coming back to pull up our dead brethren, their bodies out of the ground, to join their spirits that are coming down with Him, to put them back together, to give us a new body, and we shall be changed. And it's described in Romans chapter 8 and verse 23 that we are waiting for adoption. Now, how can we be waiting for adoption if we were predestinated to it before the world began? Christ died for us 2,000 years ago on the cross. You were regenerated 45 years ago. How can you be waiting for it? Because there's still a phase. This is how we understand the Bible. There's still a phase left undone. Paul said, now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. He was still looking to be saved. And what's it called? I love the Holy Spirit in Romans 8.23. We are waiting for the adoption to wit. That means for you that haven't figured out yet. (laughs) I love those words in the Bible. To wit, the redemption of our bodies. He still has to get our bodies out of the ground. Then adoption will be complete. 
because He will have adopted us body, soul, and spirit and glorified us for eternity with Him. That is the final phase of adoption. Jesus Christ will stand before Almighty God with all of us lined up beside Him and say, as Brother Gerald read to us this morning, Behold, I and the children which Thou hast given Me. How many will be missing? None. How many will He be ashamed of? None. How many will He own as His brethren to the whole universe of men, devils, and angels? All of them. How about to His Father? He's going to say, I died for Him. His name's in the book of life, Father. We're going to hear, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That's the final phase of adoption. That's when we get the eternal inheritance because God can't die. That's the moment we get the inheritance. God can't die, but He put the covenant into force by the death of His Son who took on Him the nature of us, not angels, so that He could die. It's, is that a fantastic drama? What is lacking in it to excite you? I know my delivery is horrible. I'll always give you that. I always resent every effort made in this pulpit and regret every effort. The Word of God is so glorious and this scheme of salvation is so wonderful. What is lacking to move you? He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. Your inheritance is a glorious thing. There are so many other comparisons that could be made. Brethren, it's not enough to talk about being God's children. We could plumb the depths of adoption. We could, we could outline it. We could preach it. We could put it on tapes. We could sing it. We can sing it in every song that we can find. But brethren, let's act like the sons of God. Let's live like the sons of God. Jesus said, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because you're not of God. What part of God's word don't you like listening to? What part of your life does it get on that you don't want the Lord entering into that part of your life? Give Him everything. He's our Father. We owe Him everything. You say, I'm so pitiful I can't be a child of God. Oh no, that's proof that you could be. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 it says, Look around and see your calling, brethren, how that not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise, and not many rich. Yeah. Oh, there's so much comfort in the Gospel. Let's be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Let's shine as lights in the world. Let's hold forth the word of life. That we won't make Paul and every other minister that's, that's come before us and wanted to leave a body of faithful saints in the world disappointed in us. When Jesus told His disciples to seek ye first the kingdom of God, you know what it says in Matthew chapter 6, but you know what it says in Luke chapter 12. See, Jerry and I used to like Matthew 6.33, but we don't like it anymore. I say that respectfully. We like Luke 12 better. Because Luke 12, after saying, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God, He'll add all these things to you, for it is your... Your what? Your Father's good pleasure. To give you the kingdom. Oh, I guess he just may be able to add all these other things to me, isn't he? If I seek first his kingdom. 
such wonderful expressions in Scripture. Do you know what the Bible says we're going to hear someday? Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I've been working on this for a long time. Jesus graciously told his disciples after his resurrection, I ascended to my Father and your Father. Jesus describes Jehovah as his Father and our Father because we're both sons of God, a little different, and we're joint heirs together of God and all that he has. I ascend to my Father and your Father. Would you want to hold him back when you heard words like that? No. Lord, go! Go and sit at his right hand and be an intercessor for us the rest of your eternity. Amen. Is what the Bible teaches us that he's doing. Oh, brethren, let's be those faithful ones. Let's let the word of God change us. He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. That is 1 John 3, 3. I've read it to you several times in the last several weeks. It follows on the short, best description of adoption in the Bible. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word to cause all of us, with every decision we make, and you will make many before this day ends, to be the children of the highest. In Jesus' name, I commit this. Amen.